Hello, welcome to another episode of the Capital Employed Podcasts. For this episode, we welcome back Mark Tobin from Coffee Microcaps. Now, if you're into your high-quality Australian small and microcaps, you'll absolutely love this episode. Mark is the go-to man when it comes to this area of the market. First of all, Mark gives us the lowdown on two of the companies he discussed when he was last on the show back in February last year. And then he talks about two new stocks that he's very bullish on. This is a great episode and I think you'll really enjoy it. Please enjoy my conversation with Mark. Hi Mark, welcome back to the podcast. Thanks for having me back, John. Yeah, it's good to be back. We last had you on, I think, on episode three, I believe, about 11 months ago. And you uh, discussed two stocks. One was SDI and the other Energy One. Are you still bullish on those stocks and have there been any updates? Yeah, I'm still uh, quite happy with both of them. Um, The share prices have kind of gone sideways in the year. The underlying, I guess, businesses uh, are still interesting and attractive businesses to me. Energy One um, are expanding what they do in Australia globally. They've appointed a CEO now for Europe, uh, some country managers for their acquisition in France and, and one specifically for the UK. So I think it's a, it's kind of a, a situation where they're, you know, growing the business, um, but it's kind of not really showing up in the, in the numbers yet. But the thing that I really like about what Energy One is doing is that they've proven that they can take their technology out of Australia and are starting to use it now on a more international basis. So just to remind people for what Energy One does, they have energy trading software. So basically when you've got big generators, the power companies looking to sell large amounts of energy to big users, think of McDonald's, Tesco, anybody who's you know buying uh, electricity on the wholesale market, Energy One basically is like a, a stock market for energy and they kind of provide the platform for the buyers and sellers to line up demand and supply. The second business, uh, SDI, it's kind of had more of a bit of a mixed last 12 months. Again, the share price kind of sideways. I think everybody will know global supply chains and global logistics costs uh, have impacted the business. They haven't been able to pass on these costs through to consumers. So margins are down and that's affected profitability, but the business is still profitable, debt-free. But encouragingly for me, in their latest update, sales are up over 20%. So I'm hoping that you know once these logistics issues kind of clear through the system, hopefully uh, in 2022, as we seem to be getting closer to the end of COVID, I'm hoping then then to the start that you know once margins normalize and logistics costs normalize you know you're going to have margins on a much bigger uh, revenue base flowing down to the bottom line so the operating leverage will start going the other way they've also talked about moving their manufacturing facility in melbourne to a new greenfield site i think that could bring a lot of cost efficiencies and a lot of dynamic production to where they are now they're where they are now is you know not really purpose built it's a it's a site they've been on for the last 25 30 years since the business was founded so i think moving to you know a brand new 
production facility that's built for purpose, I think will really uh, help streamline the business and improve what they do at an operational level. Uh, for just a reminder for people, SDI is a world leader in global dental products, specifically around the tools that dentists use uh, and kind of things like tooth whitening that you would get done at a dentist rather than you would uh, kind of buy these over, over-the-counter products. Um, but yeah, I still like both businesses, even though the, the share prices look like they haven't done much, but there's, I think, a lot happening under the hood in both businesses, if I can say that. Okay, yeah, thanks for the update for those two. I'll quickly ask you about ASX as a whole last year, the sort of the microcap part of the Australian Stock Exchange. How, how did it perform last year and has there been many new listings? Yeah, the, the ASX itself had quite a good year in terms of IPOs, their best year since, since 2007. So they had 240 new listings. Now, the exchange itself has a little over 2,100 companies listed. So, you know, more than, I guess, 10% of the total listings uh, came through in IPOs. Um, so, yeah, it was a definitely a record year for, for IPOs and indeed kind of raising capital through placements and rights issues. And uh, one of the big ASX company CSL did a big acquisition where they raised um, $7 billion themselves, which is quite a large raising in Australian terms anyway. So it, w- it, w- it was a good year. The microcaps themselves had another um, stellar year. The main index for the microcap end of the market was up over 30%. And I had a look at a couple of the other major markets around the world, US, Canada, the UK, Europe, and yeah, Australia did the best out of all of those markets. A lot of those markets also had good years, you know, most of them up 20%. Uh, the only kind of outlier was Canada, which was only up 7% for the year in, in the microcap space. But yeah, I think overall a good year for the microcaps. Again, it's such a large space in Australia. You're talking, depending on what, what your definition of microcap is, you're talking 1,500 stocks. So you know, lots of winners and losers. Um, but I think overall, it was, it was another good year to be uh, fishing around in ASX microcaps. Yeah, it's a really um, impressive performance. Can we talk about some uh, new stocks that are on your radar? Maybe talk about a couple that you're, um, you're very bullish on for the future. And, and what is your thesis behind your bullishness? Yeah, so the first one I wanted to talk about is a company called Raise. So that's R-A-I-Z and the ticker code's R-Z-I. So people might be familiar with their kind of more larger known peer, which is Acorns, which is about to list in the US. So this is a, you know, a micro investing platform where, you know, every time you swipe your card or do online shopping, it kind of rounds up the last little bit and then this gets invested into portfolio. So Raise uh, is the main operator in the Australian market. They originally had a partnership with, with Acorns, but that has ceased many years ago and they have basically kind of built out their own app platform that's more customized to the Australian market and what they want to do in Asia. They are the leader in Australia and over the last kind of 12 to 18 months have launched into Malaysia and Indonesia and they have found good traction in both of those markets. 
every month they announce what their kind of active customers are in each market and how much they've grown. And over the last six months, especially the, the Southeast Asia business has been recording 7-8% customer growth on a month-on-month basis. Um, so the, you know, the base there is starting to get very large. Profit per customer or the revenue per customer is much lower in those markets compared to, compared to Australia. But just the sheer numbers in population would tell you that even if they're making less per customer, if they, if they can grow the customer base enough, it can turn into you know, pretty substantial numbers uh, over time. And they, they're on a more broader Southeast Asia expansion strategy. You know, they're looking at other markets now. Vietnam, I believe, is one, possibly the Philippines. So you know, this is, I think, going to start of what they can do in Southeast Asia. And it's encouraging that, you know, they have been able to take the business from Australia to Asia and have seen success with The Australian business, uh, to me, it looks like it might be leveling off a bit. Um, you know, customer growth has been slowing down of, of late. Uh, so I'm not sure if that's just a natural kind of dip in the in the growth curve or if if you know the kind of Australian business is, is reaching maturity. But it, the Australian business itself is profitable. You know, the average balance, which you know when you think about just like rounding up from every transaction, the average customer balance in Australia is now over three thousand dollars. So it's quite a crazy thing to imagine that you've got you know this little roundup app on your phone and it's got a balance for most customers in there over three thousand dollars and they obviously make a fee on that so they either charge you three dollars fifty a month to use the app or they take a percentage of the the balance in your account so it's a kind of a bit like the uh, the asset management model and the business day is capped around 150 million and i'm i'm very interested to see uh, when we start getting some numbers from acorns in the us uh, when that list i think it's going to list i think may 22 is the the rough timeline at the minute what will be the comparative numbers in terms of the valuation there whether it's on a per customer basis or revenue per customer versus raise because they're basically completely comparable between the two so it'll be interesting to see what the the valuation comparison will be obviously the u.s much bigger market than australia the business you know continues to grow uh, they've just done a big advertising deal with seven west media in australia so i'm hoping that can give another big leg up to growth in the Australia business as we move through 2022. As I said, the customer growth in Australia had been waning over the last six or seven months. So I'm hoping with this new kind of TV radio deal that they can really jumpstart the Australia customer growth again. So I think it, you know, they're also reaching that kind of cash flow break-even point after a lot of investment in marketing, building out the platform, moving into these new markets in um, Malaysia and, and Indonesia. So it's getting to that point now where they're you know, starting to look like they could fund their own growth going forward. And you know, the business is going to kind of stand on its own two feet. So you know, that's another reason I, I'm kind of keen on is getting to that break-even point, which you know, a lot of people tend to look for um, 
in that you know the business is now proven so i think that could attract a whole new set of eyes and and potential shareholders to the business having lived and traveled around southeast asia over the last few years i can see the growing interest in investing so i think that sounds quite exciting that they're targeting that area of the world yeah Um, and i mean we're in the portfolios as well they've got i think six portfolios that you you know can invest your money in from low growth to medium high growth you can they've recently launched customized portfolios where they've got 12 or 13 etfs that you can put together yourself Uh, and then one of their portfolios which has done really well for them actually contains a five percent allocation to bitcoin which is uh, an interesting portfolio component but has really resonated with their customer base which you know tends to be in that kind of 25 to 40 year old age bracket um, you know so that's so that's been a, a good innovation for them that, that that's worked well okay mark thanks for sharing that one and how about your second company you'd like to talk about yeah my second one is a business called high tech group australia um, they are a basically a recruitment business um, but they completely specialize in ICT recruitment, so information, communication, technologies, anybody working in in tech, they basically do all of the recruitment in that industry. But funnily enough for them, their main, main customer, which accounts for pretty much over 90% of their revenue is the Australian federal government and various Australian federal departments. They have over time started to move down into the the state government and trying to expand into the the private sector actually just announced today that they're seeing first half profits are they've guided to be 10 percent over up over last year and if they can maintain that into the second half it would be their eighth year of consecutive uh, profit growth even though you know you would say they have a high customer concentration risk in that 90% of their revenue and profits for that matter come from the Australian federal government. Driving you know, this demand from the government is uh, they are on a big cybersecurity push and uh, obviously now post-COVID, a lot of projects for digital government, e-government, provision of government services through digital channels and e-channels uh, has been fast forwarded. Uh, so that has helped them over the last two years, especially. But it, it's part of a longer term trend. You know, they, have, they are a founder led business. It was founded by kind of two brothers. One of the brothers is the CEO now. And they have over many years now demonstrated that they can continue to grow the business, pays a nice dividend. You're looking at about a 5% yield on this business uh, that has been consistently paid. To me, you know, you have a very solid and secure underlying business uh, with all the government work that they do. And if they can eke out any additional growth into the private sector and dealing with some of these uh, state governments, which is one level down from the federal government, you know, I think there's a lot of growth opportunities in front of um, high tech. And hopefully we'll see them capitalize on that uh, over the next uh, year or two in their kind of customer diversification uh, strategy that they've got in place. 
what's the business model for this? Um, is it mainly just contract work or is it a sort of long-term recurring revenue kind of contract work? They do both. So they do basically hire for permanent uh, roles and they also do hiring out of people who are there on contract roles. So, you know, there's a project to deliver XYZ government services uh, through a digital channel. It's a one-off project that needs to be built, whether that's websites, workflows, uh, security issues, anything around uh, that particular project. The project comes to the end and then the government department's own internal IT team can kind of manage the, the maintenance and ongoing upkeep of that website and service. So they, they cover both permanent recruitment and contract. The bulk of their revenue, they'll be more on the contract side as you know, these IT people are in high demand. Uh, a lot of them are not really looking for permanent jobs because they you know, can get very sweet offers to move here, there and everywhere, as you can imagine. Um, but I think th- the main thing for me is how they can grow into the private sector. You know, the private sector is literally 2% of their revenue now. So I think there's a great opportunity to grow that private business on top of a very solid base that they have with the, with the government work. And that's what I'm really looking for is how can they push into the corporate sectors? Because... What's happening at the at the government level is really just a mirror of what's happening in the broader economy. Um, you know, anything to do with technology has got a tremendous tailwind behind it. All businesses are looking to see how they can do things using technology, and that spans everything from the service they deliver, the products that they sell, you know, right through to cybersecurity, internal communication systems. Uh, moving to the cloud. So, you know, there's a lot of demand for skilled IT staff. Uh, High tech should be able to, in my mind, capture a piece of that pie, um, given their long track record on the government side. They just now need to, you know, become a known player within the the corporate side because they have the database uh, of candidates that they've built up over many, many, many years um, through their work on the government side. And is their focus solely on Australia, or have they mentioned maybe expanding abroad at all? For now, they seem to be very focused on Australia. They still think that there is plenty of room for them. They've muted looking at acquisitions in Australia, um, given you know they have a very solid balance sheet, no debt, uh, lots of cash on the balance sheet. So they, they have the, the wherewithal to maybe buy something in a, and expand but uh, nothing has has come about as yet but i don't think international expansion is on their horizon at the time being i think they feel they've got you know plenty of opportunities within the australian market the new zealand market potentially and um, that's you know the kind of first port of call for expansion for a lot of australian businesses but to be honest with only two percent of the revenue coming from the from the corporate side, I think you know there's quite a, a decent opportunity to take some market share there from other players uh, and expand that side of the business without risking you know venturing into a completely new international market uh, that they w- wouldn't be familiar with. Thanks, Mark, for sharing those two companies. And what's the latest with uh, your virtual events? Have you got any uh, more coming up soon? Yeah, so we've got. Um, 
three virtual events happening the end of January now. Thursday the 27th, Friday the 28th, and then Monday the 31st. So for companies in Australia that are not yet sustainably profitable or operating a, on a cash flow positive basis, the ASX requires them to report a, an Appendix 4C report, which is like a quarterly cash flow report. And we're doing events around companies who fall into that uh, category of reporting. Uh, so the December quarter just finished. They need to report that quarterly cash flow before the uh, 31st of January. So I'll be announcing on Twitter uh, what companies we've got uh, presenting their kind of quarterly update, quarterly numbers coming up towards the end of this week for those three dates. And then the Australian tax year runs from 1 July to 30 June. So December was also the end of the first half for a lot of companies. So we'll have plenty of events happening middle to end of February when all these other companies who are not required to produce their quarterly will be announcing their half-year results for the first half of this financial year. And those will generally start flowing through probably from the middle of February. Um, so we have a lot, a lot happening the end of this month and a lot happening the end of next month. Okay, sounds great. And where should people go to find out more information about you and, and the virtual events? Twitter is probably the best place to find me. Uh, so you can find us at C Microcaps. So that's uh, capital C Microcaps. Or check out the YouTube channel. Uh, you'll get a flavor for what the events are like in companies we've uh, presented in previous events. And that's just at a Coffee Microcaps on YouTube. Mark, thanks again for coming on to the podcast. Always a pleasure to have you on. Hopefully we're going to get you back again in the near future. Thanks, John, and uh, congrats on getting the subscription up and running. Uh, I've loved the content of some of your other guests and, and looking forward to hearing from uh, who you else you've got lined up for the rest of 2022. Thank you, Mark. I think um, we've got some great guests lined up, so hopefully you'll continue to enjoy it. But yeah, thanks so much for that. It means a lot.